Hey guys, welcome to Draftsman. Marshall won't be joining me in this episode, but don't be too sad. I'll be talking with Jeff Watts, the founder of Watts Atelier, and my instructor. I grew up as an artist at the Watts Atelier, and I even taught there for five years. So I'm really excited to finally bring Jeff on to the Draftsman podcast. Jeff will be talking about his own artistic journey, the elusive Riley method, and more. All right, let's get to it. Yeah. Talk to the mic, Stan. Oh, are we rolling? Yeah, we're rolling. Oh, okay. I literally looked at the cameras when it said it. I wasn't rolling yet in my head. I was just talking. I was just talking. This is good. This is, yeah. Cool. Well, hey, dude. Hey, it's been a long time. <laughs> Wait a minute, you're not Marshall. You're like a, you're like a buff Marshall. Be- yeah, with the with the beard and all. You know, I got, Marshall's got a beard too, though. So you yeah, know, you I, look I like, like a I buff, have- tan, <laughs> younger Marshall. Nice. <laughs> awesome, excellent. This is AI's interpretation of Marshall. Yeah, is yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good to be here. It's always yeah. good to to reconnect with you and see you. It's yeah. been uh, too long. You know, we uh, we have two different world's going now but it seems like we spent so much time together when we were younger that it's really cool well i was younger yeah i was i didn't have this white beard either (laughs) that's true (laughs) come on but no yeah was it black you didn't have a beard at all i didn't really grow it out until recently i've never really grown a beard out until probably last couple years so yeah yeah nice yeah i'm glad i'm glad to hear about your beard we're going to just talk about beards the whole time. It's not even going to be about art. <laughs> yeah, we start with banter. Okay. We we have to have some kind of awkward thing in here in the beginning. Yeah. It's part of the... I think that was pretty awkward, the whole beard It was beers. awkward. Yeah. We was it also, awkward enough? I don't think so. Marshall <laughs> would have made that real awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm not Marshall. I'm, I'm like, I know you're not. I'm like an got... AI Marshall, right? So, we're kind of like... You're an AI... No, yeah. you're just a buffed hand. <laughs> you're just Marshall. a buffed hand. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for um, having me. Yeah, we just recorded a little session of you talking about lines. Highly esoteric, course. highly philosophical. That's yeah. been my bend lately. That's I was I'm... like, hey, I have this group of beginner students who want to learn about lines. Can you <laughs> come you in and walking? show them some you stuff? You were talking to the wrong guy. I was like, are you sure you want me to talk about this? Um, I know. They're, they're not going to understand one thing I said. They'll be like, nah, what nah, is nah. up with this guy? Editing is magic. Yeah, just yeah, have it rewrite me, you know, to it, put it through AI and they can rewrite it. Um, everything is AI. Everything's now. AI now. <laughs> Come on, you know. But um, no, it was good. It was fun to. I don't know. I always enjoy, um, you know, what you're up to, and you know, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What am I up to? Yeah, the Proco thing, baby. The thing. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. What do you mean? That's it's unreal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So now, you, now that was the awkward thing. That was it. <laughs> we did it. Okay. Now okay. we can move on. Okay. Like, what is it? Like six weeks ago, you released the Riley class. Yeah. Yeah. On we just, Broco, which yeah. is awesome. It's been like 10 years. I know. Now we threw the hat in the ring. You know, yeah. we've been doing it for we what? It. We just celebrated 30. So yeah, yeah, it took us a while to get around to doing something for you. <laughs> now we, um, when I was, you know, started when, I don't know, probably a little older than when you started, you started pretty young when you went to our school. When I started at your How school, old were you? I was 17? 17 or 16. Yeah. You were 16, 17. You were yeah. young. I was 18, 19 when I started at the California Art Institute with Fred and Glenn and Morgan and all those guys. Yeah. So it was, um, the Riley method, I don't know, for me was a game changer. I mean, it changed my whole life. 
And I think you could probably say that it probably changed I mean, yours yeah. as well. You know, so I mean, it's done that for a lot of people. And it's not that it, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just an amazing system that I'm so happy that it's not going to go by, by because it was looking like it might, you know. There's not a lot of resources. Well, this is why I think it was really cool that you released it. You yeah. this class because there's not many resources online that teach Riley or you know, even just demonstrate Riley because you can you can find stuff where there's like theories and little passages and the diagrams obviously but then like watching someone actually execute it on a figure drawing. I mean when you think of Riley as far as like a rhythmical grid system that can be modified for anything that you paint or draw. I mean that's pretty all-encompassing you know so it's not yeah. just everyone thinks figure Riley head Riley no it's Rocks, trees, yeah. animals. So, yeah, actually, can you give us a breakdown? Why Riley? What Riley? <laughs> who Riley? <laughs> who Riley? Who Riley? <laughs> well, Riley, who Riley, that's like a one-sentence thing, right? Like, yeah, good old Frank. Dude, he taught a lot of good stuff. I mean, again, like, I, think, I think the way that we've riffed off of it, because I think it was taught, obviously, extremely well by a lot of people, but I do think when, when I, I think you should try to springboard off of a concept, not just be a parody of it. Right. So when I started thinking, well, what can I do to contribute to this? It was, I just fell in love with design and how you design through rhythm and how rhythm is a part of everything. So whether you're designing a, the new, you know, M3 for BMW or you're designing somebody's nose, it's no different. It's straights and curves, Frenching together in a way that creates beautiful structure and beautiful shape. But, you know, how do you quantify that? How do you break that down into some algorithm? I don't know if it's that simple. I think it's more of a felt sense of design through rhythm and how it orchestrates in form. Mm -hmm. What's a rhythm? Well, rhythm would be, again, it would be the, um, the linkage of a line that creates a shape. I'm trying to think on the fly here, how to define <laughs> that. Because to me, rhythm, it's like, you know, this, you know, the bottle of water in front of me has rhythm. It doesn't have to be dynamic rhythm like an animated little creature for Pixar or something. But it, it could be... Um, it could be a straight line. Is a yeah. Like. Yeah, a straight line may be slightly devoid of rhythm. To me, I think of it more as flowing. So, if, I, if someone just said, what is rhythm? It would be like dance. It would be more the feminine aspect of energy. It wouldn't be... The masculine would be highly structured, highly formulated. Mm -hmm. And then rhythm is more flowing. It's more elegant. It moves. It, it's never static. So, to me, you know, a rhythmically structured thing mm -hmm. they need they need both and you can dominate on one or the other depending on what your stylistic you know so to you a rhythm can't move in a straight line it has to flow in wave yeah i mean to me rhythm speaks to movement of some sort um it could be subtle i mean okay. it could be a very subtle curve you know it doesn't have to be ex an extreme curve s curve c curve it could be a subtle s curve subtle mm -hmm. c curve it could be very subtle but a straight dead straight line to me would be more structure mm-hmm uh, the best structure would have rhythm and structure involved in it, the best design. So, you know, if you made a car of only straights, it would look pretty yeah, yeah. boxy. It would just look, I think it would look cheesy. I would go, nah, I don't like that. It's, right, the balance of all those. Yeah, yeah. So, we need yeah. some kind of curve, right? So, it doesn't have to be extreme curve, but the way you French those curves together, and I think car design probably is one of the easiest areas to actually, or the more, to, to observe it. And, you know, you have two cars out in the parking lot, and you got your little, you know, Lambo. And then you got the block form cars that just look kind of dorky, right? You just look at it and go, oh man, that Lambo, you're like 99.9% .9 of the people would say it looks better. Why? I mean, I don't know. Just straights and curves. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, you tell me, is there a math formula? Can we run it through the, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the golden mean? And, and yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's sacred geometry. There's all that kind of stuff. But when you, when you start looking at form 
like, you know, when you go out to play an airplane or you go to draw a figure, you got to sit there and look at it and go, how am I going to take that form, break it down into its straights and curves, put it on a flat surface and make it look really cool? You know, I mean, that's, that's really what we're all trying to do, right? Or whether it's going out playing airplane and say, I don't like the look of that tree. It looks too bulbous. It looks too generic. Okay, I'm going to bonsai it. I'm going to cut a little section here, cut a little section there. But what's prompting you to cut certain sections? How are you frenching those things together? Uh, you meaning like, you know, integrating them in a way that appears elegant. Now, that's where you get into like, you know, what's elegant? Who's the one that's going to come up with this, you know, you know, like this is what good is, you know? Is, right. that, is that like a universal uh, thing or is it something way more um, non-tangible? And I have a tendency to think it's more on the later, but I don't know. I, I like thinking, like, you know, that's the stuff I think about now a lot when I'm putting even color notes together rhythmically, you know? And this whole thing of a felt sense, like I, it's so weird to even, you know, it's so woo-woo and new agey, you know, it's got a felt sense to it. Well, what's a felt sense? I don't know. It's like an intuitive sense. It's felt. You feel into it. Like, you know, so when someone says, how do you do color? I say, well, it's through felt sense. I don't really think about color. I don't ponder it. I don't think of it mathematically. I don't sit and think about the color wheel and the Munsell wheel and, you know, is this harmonizing off of this? And it's a tertiary relationship. I don't think of any of that. Never. Yeah. Never, never, never. Well, you did. I never did. Intuitive sense. No, no. Well, you. you, No, when I was early on, I always just felt color. I I don't like thinking color. I never, never made sense to me. It was like never read a book on it. Was never interested in reading a book on it. Um, So you, you know what's like analogous and what the complement. I do it. I couldn't tell you intellectually what I was doing. I just know that it feels good to me and it looks good to me. No, but I mean, you can explain it to a student if they're like, "What's a complement?" Well, that's the reason. I mean, again, there were students that didn't learn color from me very well because they weren't intuitively able to understand it and wanted Mm -hmm. to learn it through mathematics. Which, again, I don't know if you go back to Claude Monet, you'd say no good colorist was ever trained through theory. Period. Mm -hmm. End of story. Just that's the way it is. You either get it or you don't. If you don't get it, it's a rough road. You can try to intellectualize it. Will you ever be a natural colorist? Probably not. Could you do decent you can't color? can't do both? Well, I mean, you could be decent color, but you're not going to be like a mat, like a fetch-in, uh, a monet, you know, those kind of colors, which are bending, breaking rules yeah. all the time, right? You know? But I mean, a lot of concepts can go that way where you can start by studying them intellectually. Yeah, and yeah. And once you understand them, you completely disregard all the stuff, well, but no, it's that's the, I think that's the normal path. I think yeah. color is one of the few areas that I would say is best taught by example. Like meaning you're a really good colorist and I sit down with you and you're in my class and then you do something, I come in and do it in front of you and you look yeah. at it and say, oh, well, that looks way better than what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Why is that? I, I want to, should I paint what I see? And I said, well, you could, but there's probably a hundred different versions of it that probably will look better that you could make up. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, I mean, you, you can paint it literally if you want, but you yeah. know, at the end of the day, I don't know if it's going to, I personally would like to paint it the way I would like to see it, not the way I'm seeing it. I will, I will respect what I'm seeing. I'll intellectually banter with it a little bit and have some dialogue with it, but I don't necessarily have to be literal with it, right? So, that's where I think the felt sense comes in. That's where you would start to go, okay, well, what feels right to me? Because, you know, I'll reverse warms and cools on a painting all the time, you know? It's like, it can't happen. It really can't do that, but it looks better Mm -hmm. to me. Like, I might put a minty green highlight on a warm surface. It's couldn't get that. It's not going to happen, but I mean, like, if the flesh tone and I might put a mint green on the forehead. Well, there's no mint green on that forehead. I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't go towards that, but it, there's there's a certain kind of harmony off of it that I think looks really appealing to my eye aesthetically, and I would override the intellectual wanting to make it right for what feels better. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a felt sense of what I want to do, and it doesn't mean I don't respect. I mean, that's why you train so hard, like you do or I do or anyone is 
so that you can free yourself up. But when I used to teach color, you learned, I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, took a lot of classes with me and mostly it was, you know, me leading by example, either painting on your yeah. painting and fixing stuff that I, and, and then having you look at that and say, oh yeah, I do like that better. I'll do more of that of my own in the future. And that yeah. would cultivate your sensitivity to color um, through another person's felt sense versus like saying, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to run out all these charts and, and drop chroma on them to infinite them. And we're going to do it with everything on the color wheel. I'm like, dude, just give me a Norman Rockwell and let me try to copy it. There's a million colored. I did all those charts, one painting, and it was a lot more fun. I got to paint a head. It was cool. And I got to still, you know, I mean, it's like, I'd rather do it that yeah. way, firstly, or whatever. I don't want to run out all these hyper-intellectual aspects of color when, to me, it's kind of beating around the bush. It's like, let's just get it. It's like, do you want to go in the kiddie pool or do you want to jump in the deep end and just start swimming around? Let's, let's, what, I mean, there's different philosophies. Some people really need to start in that kiddie pool. And I think um, that's okay. I'm just not the best person for that, right? So I would be like, well, that's, I'm probably not the best guy to learn from in that regard. Yeah. So you'd want to go over to something and everyone's kind of needs to find their sweet spot for learning. And I think for, for me, it, as I've gotten older and more mature with it, I've also learned to value, okay, what can be taught, what should be taught and what really can't or what should be more felt or what should be taught through more intuitive means. I don't know. I think it's both though. Well, like, it is. It, it is. It is. I'm not and saying- everyone learns at different balances of yeah. the two. Yeah, yeah. I guess what I'm saying, I don't know where we were even going with this. This is one of our-, our <laughs> It's a side trip. This is a, yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's kind of, you know, that's what I know you're, you know, that we're just here to chat. Like, <laughs> to me, it feels like we're just talking shop. I haven't talked to you in a long time about much of anything because you're so busy and I'm so busy and we've kind of have these, these, these different parallel lives going. But I, I you know, um, always enjoy talking to people that I've known for a long time about this stuff, you know, because it's not, a, you can't just sit and talk with a lot of people about this stuff. So. The way I explain rhythm, tell me if I'm completely out of line here. <laughs> <laughs> good start. Good start. <laughs> Is that... That's wrong. That's wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm Sorry, guys. I'm just kidding. Refund. Just support. Just... Support at program.com. I'll give you a refund. <laughs> um, so, the way I explained it, and, and I'm talking more specifically about like figure drawing or... Yeah. Rhythm is something that's more visually you could actually see it where it's a connection between visual elements on the surface mm -hmm. or it could be a 3d sculpture and you could it could be yeah, a 3d yeah. rhythm between things you can actually see whereas gesture is more felt you can indicate the gesture of an arm with like some squiggly like flowy stuff that doesn't mm -hmm. actually represent what's on there it represents more of the pose the gesture that what it communicates Whereas the rhythm, you're literally trying to find connections between the shapes, like how the muscle flows into another muscle and then how it goes into the tip of the finger or whatever. Like, it, they're, they're very much related, like overlapping concepts. Yeah. But to me, to kind of feel the difference between the two. I think like when we were doing the course that we put on your, you know, the Riley course that we put on, it was really like four different guys' interpretations from our school that have done it mostly trained with me for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, Eric's 25 years. So you're looking at like Brian approaching it through mannequinizing and simple block form rhythm and structure. dimensional rhythm. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of like more sub rhythm, heavy structure. Yeah. Yeah. There is rhythm and structure, right? But yeah. I mean, but he's, he's, he's more on the, again, the straight line side of it. And then you get into like Eric, who's starting to open it up more into, okay, how do we understand how we take the insertions and origins of the muscles. But again, you have rhythm in a tree trunk, but it's not muscle rhythms, right? It's, it's right. but it's still rhythm. 
But and a rock has things rhythm. you see the, the visual rhythms between the shapes of the tree trunk, right? Yeah, well, it's it's how they connect, right? So mm-hmm. it's do I like that connection or does that connection too curvy or does it need a straight injected somewhere mm-hmm. in there? So that's where the nuance comes in, where you start to actually again draw more what you want to see versus what you're seeing and what you know, because you obviously know it's a tree, it's an oak, right? And then I'm seeing it this way, and that's the way that oak's expressing itself in in its fruition of being or whatever. And I need to now interpret it, but do I like its its way that it flows? I don't have to. You know, I have my own right to like whatever I want. So I go, nah, I think I'll put it straight here and I'll cut this here and I'll go there. So now you go into the design aspect of it, thinking about rhythm, respecting structure, and balancing those two to make a cool looking version of that oak tree um, or that rock pile or that guy's arm or the knee or the, you know, whatever. So, um, so I think when you get into rhythm and, and the way that I think it's best, uh, taught it, 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 you start with structured stuff like what you're doing and what we're doing as far as like okay we're going to lay down these rhythm lines and this is the basic abstraction now we're going to go sure le- you just use the word abstraction yeah well I, okay so the abstraction <laughs> is very connected to the riley method because riley created a rhythmical grid system based on the muscle insertions and origins and the the bone structure right so it's how those play with each other it's like a map of the rhythm it, yeah it's like a gps system for drawing Right? Oh, the body. Yeah. yeah. Well, the head, the body, but then you could also go and say, I'm going to create a Riley version of a tiger, a right. Riley so version an of a acape, right. whatever, you know, yeah. of, a, of an oak tree, right? So I could literally Riley out the whole planet, yeah. right? Everything you draw, you know, cars, planes, buildings are all imbued with form and rhythm. And what I think Riley did so well and what we kind of teach at the Watts Atelier. I mean, again, which is what you went through and now you've kind of done your own thing with it and everybody's kind of doing their own thing with it, but it's the basis of it is, and, the, and I think the brilliance of it was creating an organized system of thinking that teaches you how to think in rhythm, which you can then take into anything. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a rigid system. It's a, it's a very liberating system, right? And a lot of people think of it like, oh, I need to memorize this, this, this. No, you, you start that way, but then you. Yeah. All of these things are not rigid no not Even at all like loomis which feels like it's it's very rigid where because you have like a very specific measurement of things yeah people who don't use it properly are way too um specific with it they don't yeah. know how to take the loomis and then fit it onto any head shape like yeah you it doesn't have to be a perfect ball you know <laughs> this guy's head is very tall don't make it a ball yeah yeah make just it stretch it out a little bit yeah, yeah put yeah. the jaw on wider and make it more yeah. square and it's not perfect thirds, make the top taller. Like yeah. It's just a starting point to get you out of the chutes or out of the gates in a salt, you know, like, so again, you, you know, there's nothing more perplexing than t- taking some new, you know, someone who barely knows how to hold a pencil and say, yeah, just go at it or whatever. You know, you got to give them these parameters from which to um, play. And then once they get that, then you can start opening up into these more uh, abstract and abstract and abstract concepts, building them on more feeling and more esoteric concepts, right? Because ultimately... The underpinnings of all good representational art are going to have a lot of structure in it. That means a lot of thinking, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of thinking. But the ones that fascinate me are the ones that have transcended the thinking into feeling. And that could be a Bernini, which is highly technical, or even a Bruguero. I wouldn't say that that resonates as much with me as pushing past the bounds of, of the organized thinking process of, of more in your mind thinking and painting, right? Mm-hmm. But you get into like a Fetchin or a Mancini or a, even a Cornwell. And then, you know, Cornwell's scooping up six different colors and then pulling a swipe with it. You mean to tell me that you have some intellectual knowledge of what just is going to go down when you do that? It's impossible. 
it's intuitive at that point. Well, but intuitive, but then you got to riff off the intuition. It's intuitive about knowledge of what looks good and then also feeling of what you're trying to communicate. Well, that's what I'm saying though. That's where the magic is. But trying yeah. to teach, I mean, like that to me is unteachable. It is a felt sense it's of- It's trainable. I don't even know if it's trainable. Really? You can't like you. guide someone to be able to I want you to build say, that I skill. want you to randomly pick up seven colors on your palette on your palette right now and spin it on a painting and then tell me what value is going to go. Maybe and coachable. Maybe that, I'm trying to I think it, out, I like, think it's best coach, seen, I mean you did it. You coached, Well, no, I did it through by, by reverse engineering people through trial and error, taking someone like Cornwell or Fetchin and saying, "Hmm, broken color. Wow." Okay, so I can't, he couldn't even duplicate this stroke. Possible, right? right? So, there's no way to do a forgery of a painter like that. Right. So, you could make it look enough to where someone would think it was that guy painting it. And that's really what you're going after when you go into those kind of more esoteric. And this is why I spend a lot of my time now because you get bored after a while with doing technical stuff. You just yeah. like, dude, I've done There's a lot of that. jazz. As yeah, I mean, I've done just so much. And whether it's why I listen to Miles Davis riff or whatever, any of these guys that have been doing it for so long, they're just like, okay. Now forget everything and let's have some fun with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's where everyone wants to be. And I think everyone wants to transcend the 10 or 15 years of hard training that it takes to be able to open that door. Some people never will open that door simply because I think they won't do the proper training to be able to open it. So again, I, I came up, I don't know when I came up with that, like, you know, part what you see, part what you know, part what you wish you saw. It sounds so simple. So, you know, Sargent's going to be predominantly what he sees and what he knows with a little bit of what he wants to see because he doesn't manipulate that much. Frazetta's going to be 90% what he wants to see, a lot of what he knows, and not much of what he sees at all because he's making up most of it. So, he's not seeing anything. It's coming out of his head. So, he's going to be heavy on the back end of that equation. Sargent's going to be heavy on the front end of that equation. They're both excellent painters. They just chose to use that equation differently. In order to open up the third door, you've got to commit to memory copious amounts of visual memorization in order to be able to look at something and say, I don't like it and I'm going to do this to it mm -hmm. because it should be this. And I know it should be that intellectually, but I'm going to make it look like this because I think it looks cooler. Yeah. And so you, that's a hard thing to do, you know? Well, one thing that makes it hard for people starting out is that they also just don't have very strong opinions about what looks good. Well, yeah. And that's why you don't hit them with that stuff. I mean, yeah. you just say, hey, you're stuck in the first two doors for the next 10 years probably. So that third door... I'd love you to go there because that's where you want to go because that's all the fun guys you see doing all this cool stuff, whether it's yeah. Houston or any of these guys, right? They're, they're, they're on the third door. They're, they're throwing crazy stuff at John Asaro, just making up color and riffing, but he knows his values and edges and drawing so well that he can do that and it comes out great and you do it and it looks like a mud pile and it just looks terrible, right? Yeah. So I think that's the dialogue I've had more and more. It's harder and harder for me to teach fundamentals because my head's totally in that yeah. back end part. And so when I go to do fundamentals... I mean, it's, it's literally like taking a step back 30 years into my training and going. Well, your mind just naturally yeah, keeps yeah. jumping right well, and back. Well, it wants to, to keep growing. It, wants, it wants to keep to moving forward, right? Yeah. And that's natural, I think, for any artist to say. And I think that's why a lot of people, as they get more advanced into, like even maybe Fetchin wasn't maybe the greatest teacher, right? Because he wasn't really interested in teaching somebody how to break a head into thirds. But you can't just start somebody coming into your class. Yeah. You got to do that, right? And so, you have to do that with your program. And like when I was designing the, you know, the, the, uh, lots of TLA online program, it was all about like, okay, it had a fundamental component, but I wasn't terrible. I'm ridiculously strong at that is my, my, my fundamentals are advanced. Right. So we finally moved, we finally <laughs> moved the quote. 
Yeah, we finally moved. My fundamentals are advanced. <laughs> we finally moved like my quick sketch over into master classes because it was ridiculous. That's, you this know, is the name of the episode. Yeah, advanced fundamentals. Advanced fundamentals. Oh, <laughs> uh, stand, stand, stand. But no, it was you know, it, but it was it was funny. So we had a whole other group of guys that you know, even at the school where I would you know replace myself with people that were a little bit more um, you know, just more simple you know, with what, with their thinking, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually a beautiful style of working in the beginning. And occasionally I'll go back and revisit different aspects of it, but it's just, um, you know, it's, it's better to have a layering system of people owning that part of their teaching when they're at that level, because it's so, it's just sincere at that mm -hmm. point. Right. Not that I can't go back and do it, but it's like, you just, it, what's the point, you know, at you some focus point. Focus on your strength. No, yeah, I yeah. Mean, when I was going through yeah. the Watts program, I very much enjoyed the strengths of every instructor like I would, yeah yeah i would go to eric he explains everything exactly how you want it to be explained yeah, when yeah. you were someone like me who needs it explained first and no no it's good yeah start jazzing a little bit um and then i go to you in the afternoon and you're doing the same thing but you're not explaining it. you're just freaking showing it you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah this is how you do it when you actually understand it yeah and it was a really good balance of the two yeah that works and we still have it's neat that it's never lost that because i i always saw i think one thing it's so, so important whether you're developing the program like you're doing or the one that we did or are doing is that you know where your strengths are truly and that you fill in those gaps with people that are better apt to 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 fill those in than you are right you don't you know it's not an ego thing it's just like no i did that but that's not my forte you know and and you have to be good at almost everything to be a professional so you do have to have sound fundamentals and you don't just jump past them i mean but um I've also seen people that really can't articulate fundamentals very well that are good at it, you know? So there's, there's always that art of like communication, nonverbal and verbal, and also through, you know, demonstration of, of your concepts of what you're doing. Like, so, um, I always look for people in, cause all the people in our school come out of our school. Like it's all the teachers are from within the program. So when you're picking somebody, you're looking at that person saying they have a really unique, um, gift for that particular area. Like Brian's really good at fundamentals. He always has been, you know, that's just what he does. And I've always recognized that in him. And I'm like, dude, because his interest is so in it and pure. It's like, well, that's the guy that should be doing that. Mm -hmm. Not me. You know, I mean, I can do it. But mine is more in these other more esoteric areas. You're not going to see those guys probably talking about that stuff because it's, yeah. you know, it, it requires a different, it's just a different way of, of, you know, approaching your art. I think now I spend more time. Because I think you do run up against that wall after 30, 30, 40 years of doing it. If you started as young as like you did or I did, you know, you're still relatively young when you're 40 years in. I mean, 50 years old, you still have maybe another 20, 30 years of, of executing. Yeah. So is it wash and repeat with fundamentals? <laughs> <laughs> or is it like, okay, now I've got to like literally break loose of that if I want to have something really unique to say and really go into more no man's land where it really isn't about it's about, it's about feeling. To me, it's all now about, can I be truly honest with my feelings on this painting? And can I, can I um, channel that? And can I utilize that to create an image that's truly impactful, mm -hmm. not just technically proficient? Because that's just, I'm just not interested in just technically proficient anymore. I mean, you know, like I'll do a beautiful eye on a painting and just stick my finger in it or run a palette knife through it for just, I don't know, just doesn't feel like what I want. You know, so let's see what that does. And then I'll go back and reconstruct it afterwards and see what of that randomness that was created, I can leave that I never would have premeditated been able to do or even thought of doing. 
So it would, and that's just like so counterintuitive for most people. It's like, dude, you just spent three hours on that eye and you're going to stick your finger in it? Excuse me? It's like, yeah. 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 Or palette knife. I don't know something. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, yeah. it's just like speaking, right? We talk about how it's a visual language. So yeah. there has to be a balance between the way you communicate has to have enough overlap between how other people communicate so that people can understand you. Exactly. But it also has to be enough of your own unique thing to where it's not boring. You actually are worth listening to because it's unique. Yeah. It's like life coaching for artists, you know? It's like, to me, you know, choosing to be an artist as a vocation is an unfortunate predicament, but it is like if you have to monetize it, right? Because it really complicates it a lot. I mean, to say, I got to make everything for money or it has to sell somehow or it has to move product or sell a product. It's just, to me, it's never what I felt in my heart was what I wanted to do with my art. It's not, that's not, that was the furthest from my interest. And so, as I get further along to where at some point in my life where hopefully if I play my cards right, I don't have to monetize it anymore. Then what does it look like? You know, then what does the art really look like? Because that's where I really wanted to be. What does yours look like? I don't know yet. Is that what you're doing now? I'm heading there. Yeah. I mean, that would be my goal would be say, I, I just, I don't want to ever sell another painting if I ever, ever again, I don't, I could care less. I really yeah. could. It's more about just a, a sincere honesty of expression, whatever that looks like at that time that can propel maybe me to a higher level of learning about myself through my art, you know? So it's more of a self-realization mindfulness practice that I happen to be doing through my art because it's the easiest well not easiest it's my most direct connection to source whatever you believe source to be you know art is that direct conduit and connector always has been probably always will be and it's a great music's the same way acting similar all the arts kind of i think play in that domain of of the, that you know what is it to be alive where are you channeling this from where is it coming from is it all energy? Where is it moving from? Where is it coming to? How is it coming through you? How are you using it to produce something creative? And so that's the really, I mean, to me, that's the real game right there. It's, it's way more esoteric. It's very difficult to, you're not going to teach a class on it probably. You could probably teach some kind of um, philosophical class on it. It'd be more like an Alan Watts dissertation on, you know, what creativity is and, and, and art, you know what I mean? It'd be yeah. him like just riffing like he always does. And he just goes off on these like crazy tangencies that are really fun to take the journey with him on him, you know, when he's talking about stuff, because it's deep thinking and it's deeply felt by him as to what, you know, what it means to be alive and what it means to create and what, it, what is creation and what, who's creating really. Um, and so, I, you know, in the beginning, it's just like, dude, I just need to split a head into thirds and make it look like a freaking head. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. yeah I mean, and that's great. I mean, that's where every, we all started there, you know? We were but all one, two-year-olds trying to put words together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I drew, you know, when I was in first grade, I got punished for doing that, right? I got held back in first grade for only drawing. I wouldn't do any math, no English, no nothing. Couldn't threaten me, couldn't do anything. I could care less about that stuff. I was like, not going to do it. Not going to do it. You can say whatever you want, you know, I'm not doing it. And that's the, I already had that kind of temperament when I was like in first grade, I was like that, you know, so that, you know, but that's the kind of headstrong aspect too, to, um, you know, like being born and knowing what your IntelliKey is, you know, knowing why it is you're here on the planet and what you're you here. You're six years old. You're like, I am here. I am here to do this, <laughs> you know, and you guys are telling me I, I'm supposed to be doing that and I'm not having it. I'm not going to learn English. No. Yeah. No, but anyway, and then later I became an excellent t uh, student when I 
actually kind of got it, but it was the, it was the, it was, it was how they went about teaching art as an afterthought. It was like, you know, when you're a kid, they'll let you do it because it's what kids do. And there's a point at which, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade, Hey, you got to start getting serious about this other stuff. This, uh, that stuff, that was good when you were two or three, but nah, that's not, you know, yet the whole world runs off of the thing that they're telling you not to do. Right. I mean, it's like, that's what you drive. That's what you wear. That's what you live in. That's what you watch. That's what you, that's the movies you go see. That's the kids play. That's the music you listen to. All the enrichment in life comes from the one thing. All the things we enjoy. Yeah. They're telling you, no, don't do that. Yeah. That's not the thing you want to be doing. You want to go over here and you want to learn this really controlled, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that stuff either. But it's like, if you're that kid, and I think that was a big motivation with me wanting to start the school originally was that how misunderstood, even, you know, when you're in that like really um, tumultuous period of growing up as an adult where you're like, maybe like late teens, early twenties, and you're really button up against that. Oh man, I got to go with my plan B, which is go to college and become an accountant because I can't do this art thing. This thing, everyone's telling me this is no way this is going to pan out, you know? Well, that's a test. I know. Yeah, I know. And that's what I'm saying. Many will be called, but few will answer. But I mean, like, I remember when all you guys came in originally, like you at 16, I mean, Mm -hmm. you had a very unique scenario because your parents were very receptive to you doing what you do, right? So were mine, you know? Yeah, but... I mean, did you run into any of that when you were... I mean, yeah. I mean, they were very supportive and they understood that also, I'm actually just not going to do anything that I don't want to do. See, you had so a little they, bit of they that. Knew that. They had no choice other than to just be supportive. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they would constantly tell me like, but are you sure? I know. Because you know it's going to be hard to actually make it work. And it, it was a constant reminder of like, yeah, but are you going to make any money? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I will. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, again, it's, it's, I, I even saw that in you when you were 16. I mean, I, I felt like, okay, this kid's going to do something. I'm not sure what, but he'll do something really cool. I mean, it's just an innate, cause you can see it in others when you possess that. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what, and it's those, you know, you have to go against that, um, that grain in order to, in order to produce anything great. I don't, it doesn't, and, and, and again, it, it gets into such a, a, a re, it's such a fascinating area of study for me is the nuance of if you're, excuse me, a really incredibly good teacher, you're going to be very interested in the people you teach and how to get to them and how to teach them for who they really are. You're not trying to imprint on them necessarily a stylistic way of working. It's, it's more give them enough tools to awaken with substance because you know that the world that we live in does require things to look good. I mean, if you want to make a living at it, right? It's, it's, it's very seldom that I had a client that said, make it look really crappy. And we'll pay a lot of money for it. Ever. Never. It was always like, they didn't care how you made cool stuff, but it better be cool to sell the movie, the book cover, the car. I don't care what it is. They want that, but they don't know how to ask that from you, but they know it when they see it. And if they don't see it, they have you do it over or they don't pay you. They just say, no, sorry, not working. Um, And so that's what, I mean, you, so you want to give people as a student, you want to give them enough skills to where they're going to be able to do that. You're not trying, I mean, are you ever going to get a Frazetta out of teaching? Maybe one in a billion, you know, I mean, or uh, any of those guys, you know? So for me, it's like, yeah, you might, but better to prepare them just to, to be able to survive. Yeah. And then if you do have some that journey that far with you, then you can open up that kind of dialogue about, okay, let's, let's, let's see where we go from here. Let's see what, what you can now bring to the table. That's uniquely um, a gift of some sort, maybe a gift for color or a gift yeah. for composition, storytelling, a gift for, you know, watching Eric 
come into fruition as a young student that was older than you when he started, but he was 22 years old, probably 21, 22. Now he's been with me 25 years, mm -hmm. right? And he's doing everything he ever wanted to do in his profession mm -hmm. at an elite level. But that dialogue was so slow to evolve because it just required so many pieces. And to have gone through it with him the whole time and have him always been with me, um, it's just, he's one of those few people I can say, damn, that's the way I had hoped it would work, mm -hmm. you know, for everybody. But that guy, he did it and he understood and he uh, never lost, you know, he always stayed on point, you know, and he's still on point in my opinion. And it's just cool to see. It's just like, damn, you were similar that way where, I mean, but you were a little bit more rogue, right? So you had a strong inner knowing that you want to do something that's personally you, you know, it felt like to me, like, you know, you had something in you that wanted to express itself as your vision of what you wanted to do with you it was more just cultivating a strong sense of, um, fundamental foundational components so that you could then riff off that to do whatever you wanted to do with it, which you did, you know? So everyone's different. You know, some people will stay with me for many, many, you know, long, long time because the structure of it is such that it's very conducive to, it's like being a, you know, an athlete that happens to, you know, work at the local gym and you have access to all that equipment and stuff all the time and you're going to always have to stay in shape. So do you want to start a gym or just hang out at the gym and then go do your thing, you know, go, you know, and go become a professional while you're still training at the gym you went to. And sometimes it's, it, that kind of works good too. So it's kind of fun to see, I don't know, for me, it's been really such an interesting transition to, to grow as a teacher and as a artist and then still be cultivating other teachers and artists, you know? Yeah. It's, it's always been a very um, double-edged sword, you know? It's always a very interesting, you know, dynamic. You're at past the point in your career where you're taking on clients and doing stuff like designing I stuff. I still like people, to do stuff, but it's not, it's more selective. But for like sure. you're saying how you want to do just the things that you want to do now, right? And you're, yeah. you're moving to, if I don't have to make money off of it, how would well, I paint? So, yeah. as you do that, are you still thinking about how others will perceive your paintings, what they will get from it? Or are you just trying to express whatever it is that you're, and it's like, it doesn't matter what other, because you're not no, trying no, to sell it's, it. No, so no, it's definitely cares. not. I mean, there would always be probably a part of me that it's so entrenched in our culture, you know, I think here, especially, you know, where it's hard to get that out of your system, you know, like not caring about mm -hmm. in some capacity, what people think about what you do. Um you know, there's parts of me that really don't care. And then there's parts of me that do. And those parts are complex pieces that were putting together through different periods of my life. Right. So, yeah. um, those parts don't just go away, you know, best to acknowledge them and allow them to exist, you know, in your system. But when I look at it and kind of go, which ones dominate now, right? they're less dominant than they used to be. What's the most dominant purpose for your creation? To enjoy life and the love, the things I love around me. Like, you know, to me, I looked at like a lot of the greatest painters that I admired and their interpersonal lives were disastrously bad. Most of them, <laughs> you know, okay, yeah. and that's not something I envy. You know, I don't want to sacrifice three quarters of my life, even for my art and be miserable in every other area. So I think Soroya probably was the one that probably resonated me most with having the Quan, you know, if you remember Jerry Maguire, where he wanted the money, the fame, the everything. He wanted the whole enchilada, you know, the, the football player that was in that, yeah. right? And so, I look at, you know, Soroya and I mean, holy, 
I mean, my understanding, I mean, I haven't done a huge amount of research on his actual upbringing and all that, but I thought he was an orphan when he was young. But he, um, you know, he, he, he just had this incredible love for his wife, his life. He made tons of money, his opulent freaking studios. When you see him, you just go, oh my God, you know, and the passion with which he painted. Um, it seemed like, you know, he had this incredible love affair with his wife, his kids, his family, his art, made the money, had all that. He had the whole enchilada. And you look at other people and you just don't see that. I mean, I don't see that in a lot of the artists. It took so much for them to be who they were as an artist that they really sacrificed a huge amount of their own interpersonal life and their relationship with their, maybe their spouse and their kids for that. And I just, I don't, I, didn't, I never wanted that, right? If that would have meant to be like a Soraya or to have to do that, then I probably um, chose a while back that that wasn't, I mean, I still, I think I can do some really elite stuff and I have a lot of elite ability in certain areas. And maybe there were areas at times that I was truly masterful at, like quick sketch, mm-hmm. where I'd say, yeah, I think I truly mastered that at one point. But the minute you stop doing it for any amount of time, you no longer really can claim that mastery. It's a very fleeting thing. So when someone says a master, I go master of moments. Other than yourself at a younger point, who do you think is better than you at quick sketch right now? (laughs) Other than you 10 years ago. I don't know. I'd have to look around it. I mean, there's a lot. No, seriously though. I mean, I know you're not going to answer that. You're going to sound conceited. I I do. I I really always sincerely, I think the thing that got me into the Riley method in the first place was watching guys um, some of the old, old guys, uh, from my, you know, Mark Westimo and, and Andrew and all these different guys doing these little one minute, two minute, three minute drawings, one after another that were just stellar. We had like Don Greer and a bunch of older guys from back then, uh, Greg Pro, you know, Tony Pro's brother and, you know, a mm-hmm. bunch of these guys that were the precursors to me coming to the school. Morgan Wesley, one of them, you know, his early quick sketches are insane. Not many people see him, but I know. Yeah. I don't think he shows them. Why not? I don't know, but I have a binder of them. You have what? <laughs> I do have a binder of them. You do? Yeah, I do. What the hell, man? I know. I've been holding off on you. God, but no, can no, you no. Wait, show wait. me? No. I've literally... No? no? Someday. Someday. No. <laughs> no. No, Stan. Um, anyway. Drawer. <laughs> no one can enjoy this. <laughs> no. They were just little like... Damn it. Uh, <laughs> Burn them when I get home. We'll negotiate, yeah, we'll negotiate later. <laughs> but anyway, no. That was the thing that when I saw those, I was like... This system is like insanely amazing, you know, that you can take such a complicated thing as the human form and break it down into a three minute articulation that's that good consistently. It just blew my mind. I wanted to know that system. I was like, what, who, what are these guys doing? Like David Blaine drawing or something, you know, I'm like, are you guys going to levitate or what's going on? (laughs) Um, So to me, it was like, that was the thing that really, I think, um, concretized my, my, um, my love of, of the Riley method. And I was like, I have to, so I really set out, but I was not very good at quick sketch in the beginning. You know, I wasn't, I was, I remember calling my dad and telling him I'm the worst person in class. Like the first day I had quick sketch. I was the like, fir- on the first day. Yeah. I'm the worst person. No, in well, I mean, class when I went to first. school, I thought I was pretty good going into and then the, the second day. You're like, dad, I did it. <laughs> no, it took me literally decades <laughs> of doing that. I mean, no, I, it didn't. I taught that class well, over a hundred times, three months at pop. Yeah. And then think and about you that. were like 19 then. No, no. I'm talking about now, like to do no, what I, I do now and to get to where I even saved a full page of quick sketches was probably 15 years in. Before I ever saved a whole page. Because that one wasn't so good. That one sucks. That one's not, oh God, that was not good. That one's awesome. So I'd either cut them out or there were a handful. But to get like a full page consistently, because that's how I use it now. If I go, how rusty am I? Or how far off point am I? All I have to do is go into quick sketch class and it'll tell me 
instantaneously how far off I am from I where like I your timelines should off. be. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Eric <laughs> to <laughs> to what? But because he was there with you, right, when you first started teaching. It wasn't, how old were you when you first started teaching? I was twenty two. Twenty two. Okay. So that's not fifteen years in. But, but I'm gonna ask already, him when at what point did you get good enough at Quick Sketch to where you're filling up pages? Pretty that, sure it, it was took a long time. It did. 30s. It took an easily a decade. <laughs> easily a decade. It did. I'm telling you, my first quick sketches were not good. And if you look at Glenn's Orbic's first quick sketches, I mean, like the quick sketches he taught me, he was the king of just efficiency, simplistic, no flash, no anatomy, just really simple concepts. Shade with the form, mm -hmm. go with the form. It was, the, it was so bare bones that it's like absolutely the polar opposite of how I do quick sketch, you know. So what was it that, okay, so let's, let's just pretend that you're right. <laughs> let's just say it took 15 years right? yeah, yeah what were you doing in those 15 years to get to that studying level? other people's quick sketches copying them, copying photos master studies. master studies and photo work interpretation first so i would maybe warm up with some of those old pictures i took of mark stuff back when i worked for him or when i worked with him um all those guys i used to photograph their pads i would photograph the walls i'd photograph everything i could find sit down with it draw it take photos that were similar try to mimic that look go into class try to do it come home draw some frazettas go in like before class like on saturday morning quick sketch i would stay up studying frazetta the night before so that when i came into class i would be ready to go i was serious i mean i was yeah. serious about trying to get exceptionally good at that at, and and i just loved it i mean it was a sincere love of it i wasn't because you know i mean what's quick sketch really gonna i mean it's the core of a lot of things it's, you know, quick analyzation skills, um, intuitive design, uh, intuitive anatomy, um, figure invention. So you're, you're embodying in one technique so many um, weather veins for where you're really at in your training that if you listen to it, it's an amazing resource. But a lot of people don't like it. It's too hard. Uh, don't see the value, the depth of it. And I, I, I still will teach it. And I'm not bored with it and I still have a lot to learn from it. And I don't, I still don't feel like, oh man, this, I got that thing. You know, you, you can become a bad parody of yourself very easily and just say, you know, I'll mimic what I used to remember doing. But, you know, it's such a dynamic um, process that you have to be fully present. And the minute you aren't, you will put a bad stroke down. So now I don't even really erase anymore. I just try to make every stroke count and I try every, every stroke state and I don't, it's like sketchbooking. I don't remove pat pages. I, I try to not like a race anything like a drawing i just build the whole page mm -hmm. so now when i come in every the whole class is on one page the threes the twos the fives the double five so it's like 50 different drawings all of which you hope like inking you just don't mess up or if you do you don't let people know it i mean again it's just i don't i and it's not like a, a, an ego thing it's just that tells me, oh, dude, you're on point. You know, your your mind's firing good. Your hand's firing good. Your beard is just trimmed perfectly. Would you just, just my God. on point today? <laughs> very quaffed. Very quaffed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do. Handlebar. Got to get the handlebar yeah. mustache going. No, going. I know. It always goes back to the beard now. It's yeah. always going to go back to the beard. Wake up, paint a Saroya, trim the beard, have a snack, <laughs> do a fashion study. There you go. That's a typical... Watch no, that. you know, now I just spend a lot of time, really, I do spend a lot of time, I think, lo really looking more at myself and, you know, areas that I'm hung up on uh, that are preventing me from uh, being babe, uh, able to express more uh, intuitively. Just, um, you know, different 
aspects of just being in this body on this planet as a human, the kind of trials and tribulations and stuff you'll go through that will leave impacts on you that um, are, you know, difficult aspects of self, you know, whether they're traumas or whatever that need to be healed in order to be able to be more fully you, to be able to paint more fully you. So that's the honest truth. It's not fun stuff. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's not stuff that everybody wants to go dig into, but it's like, at some point you just realize, you know, and maybe that's, that's what I've always been a really like intense, um, serious person, right? So, and it's funny because that's why I always appreciated about you. You know, you have such a, you know, kind I of- I have no intense serious. No, <laughs> no, no, I don't think that up on you. I don't, I don't really pick that up That's why I think we got along so well when we were younger. I mean, you know, it was just like we did- it's, I would it's, keep trying to push it farther. I know. And that was fun to banter with you about that stuff. Because it's like, I have this silly serious side and you have this real slapstick side. So it was always like, I don't know, it was fun to have you around the school because it was really kind of a nice- um, breath of fresh air because i mean but again i think the school the way i built it was the byproduct of that seriousness and that reverence for the technique you know underneath it all was that i just really uh, have a sincere love of learning but also imparting learning but also the riley method as a way of learning art mm -hmm. and what it's done for me and what it's done for some of the other people i've seen that have actually um, springboarded off of it whether they still use it that much or whether it was just a part of their yeah. formation of how they think you know and I think all of us that really went on that journey, um, including the ones that originally went to the school I went to, are some of the most exceptional executors out there living today. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's Morgan, Wesley, or any of those guys. They're just all, they're all over the place too. And there are in a lot of industries that you don't see that often, like behind the scenes at DreamWorks or doing, you know, color keying at Disney or, you know, I know a bunch of people that just kind of went off and filtered into industries where you're just not seen that much. Paid well, but not yeah they're behind the scenes yeah you're behind the scenes you know you're producing films and you know stuff like that so part of the goal of watsatili online was simply to keep and preserve that for future generations to learn from it after i'm not either informed to be able to do it anymore or just not so i might i was racing the clock to try to put down certain things while i was still really exceptionally good at them before i had to let them go because at some point you can only hold on to so many languages at an elite level before it the maintenance to maintain those becomes 100% of your time. Mm -hmm. To be good at inking, to be good at brush inking, quill inking, to be good at these obscure, obsolete, not even obsolete, but highly nuanced languages that very few people will ever even yeah. try, much less master in present day society. Which ones did you keep? So gouache, obviously charcoal and... Yeah, and I mean, all of them have benefits that I wish I could keep. Like inking, I just got done teaching in person. And I said I wouldn't do it again because I did lay it down online 40 hours of it. No, there was a couple kids in there that were really adamant about wanting to go into comics. And I felt like, eh, you know, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I went and did it, you know, for them. But it was cool. Yeah. It was cool. And, and, you know, so I, and again, now we only have five week terms. So it was like five weeks of ballpoint pen, five weeks of quill and five weeks of brush, which normally... That was all crammed into a 10 week term. So it was actually kind of more leisurely to do it that way. Yeah. It's nice to have like five full weeks of just doing ballpoint pen instead of two days or two, uh, two sessions out of 10 weeks yeah. or something to do that. I just realized the, the way that you um, think of charcoal drawing and the way you teach it, you can go into inking or oil painting from that really easily it's really weird the things you pick up from these more esoteric languages it's very similar to like say is latin an important latin's a dead language is it really 
Or is every word that we have in the English language mostly derived from Latin derivatives? And if you broke down a word, you can understand the definition of it without even knowing it just by the Latin. Break it apart and go, oh, boom, boom, boom. oh I know what that word means. Yeah. I mean, it's really still a very useful, parts of it are very useful. I remember I took a, a simple Latin class my senior year. They made us and uh, I can still break a lot of words down just by using some of that. And so when I look at like inking, I kind of think of it like Latin. It's like, well... It's a dead language to some degree in current, um, you know, current comics or even industries because people digitally ink or whatever. Brush inking is is definitely not very often taught well. Not like Joseph Clement Cole, Wrightson, Frazetta, Booth, mm-hmm. Charles Dana Gibson. I mean, all the greats that really mastered it. But the can that it gives you and the uh, the ability to think through problems uh, ahead of time and to pre-run your decision-making, it's unparalleled for teaching that. So, if you say an oil, I'm going to put that note down correct. Is it really correct? No, because you're going to blend that with that and that's going to blend with that and that's going to give you that, which is a blasphemized version of what you really wanted. Now, you got to go back and readjust that note back to where it should have been after the fact. Or you could premeditate that those moves, push the chroma on it ahead of time, then blend the two together and come out exactly where you wanted to be. Be a lot faster painter. You know, if you can think five, six, seven, eight, nine steps ahead of where you're at. And that's what you do. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I'm a fast painter. I mean, people say, why do you paint so How do you paint so fast? It's like, because I've just trained myself to think constantly like a chess match, five strokes or five steps ahead of myself. And <laughs> oh, shit. so wait, you're like an infinite step ahead of everyone else. Which you just, you're always five steps ahead of yourself. <laughs> you're, just, you're, just, you're like, <laughs> you always have to go there, don't you? Twist it up. No, no. But, but it is an interesting thing if you think about it. Like I, these are the things that I kind of bump into that I'm like, oh, that's a really fascinating way to think about things because I don't read that in a lot of, in any book that I've, you know, no one's told me that. No one says that. They just say, put it down right the first time and you're good to go. And I go, is that really true? Is that really true? If you never touch it again, maybe it's true, but not if you do any manipulation with it. Well, that's the approach. Yeah. It doesn't have to be true. It's no. just the way you approach it of trying to get it yeah. as close as possible to be yeah, yeah. correct. And then whatever. So I guess I'm saying it, it did, but to be more, and, and one of the things that like I did as far as teaching a class that would help cultivate that was, okay, let's do gesture painting. We're going to do one hour paintings, portraits. Now you got one hour, boom, 40 minutes to one hour. Done. Next one. You have no time to think. You have no time to sit and be perfect. You have to generalize everything. You have to kind of get it in the ballpark. You got to manipulate, push, idealize. And so that helps to cultivate that system for more feeling painting. That doesn't mean you don't do your 200-hour efforts, your 100-hour efforts, studio paintings and things like that. That's That needs to happen also. So, you got to bring those two together. And so, I think the more I learn about teaching, the more I realize how cool it can be and how complex it can be if you if you want to like knit it together in a certain way mm-hmm. and i think that's again i don't know i just look at all the people that have come out of our atelier over the years and how good they are and the consistency factor of that and it's definitely there's some i wouldn't say there's a formula but there's some way that it's actually working out that way you know i mean that that it keeps producing people of that caliber without it being hyper formulaic or formula it's more formulaic yeah. it's based in formula but not a formula yeah that's where I kind of run into some issues, not even issues, but sometimes with more of the structured site size stuff or stuff where it's, you get a lot of people that paint almost identical. Mm-hmm. They're good, but they don't have a lot of, indi- I mean, the individuality is not as quite as distinct. 
yeah. when you when you really break it down that way where i like to see everybody kind of go off in completely different directions mm -hmm. but it'd be highly skilled whether it's like if you look at meadow you look at you you look at me you look at eric you look at all these different people there there's no one that looks alike really you don't say they're all good but you don't say yeah they all look like they use the same palette and, and same color feel no one everyone's totally all over the place you know all really good but and i think that like you know there's certain schools where i say oh, i know that school because everybody paints with the same palette and they all have the same color feel looks like just stamped out about 20 of them you know it's fascinating but it doesn't it's not like i don't think that's the point of a school really i mean you give them enough structure but then you want to develop individuality along with it one last thing about riley and then we can move on some people think that Riley isn't really for drawing from imagination, that it's like, it's for you observe and then you like find the flow. Mm -hmm. But eventually, as you learn to break down something into its abstraction, it really does help to actually then draw that thing from imagination, right? Yeah, I think the imagination thing is one of the hardest things you could do. And um, whether you're reverse engineering like, like an idea... Or finding the idea in some abstract way to invent it that's what i always run into problems with but i think having abstractions firmly imprinted in your mind for all these different angles from usually quick sketch is one of the best ways to do that right because you just copious amounts of drawings from all these different angles in, in and so that you can kind of see it in your mind's eye mm -hmm. um i think that's where having that library of remembrances is another thing i talk about a lot which is just successes and failures but the remembrance of it and the, the ability to re not only retain that remembrance but to be able to have access to it years later is hard and so when someone invents i'm always curious like whether it's a carl kapinski or whether it's like like maybe like kim jung ji those guys i mean they're elite inventors right so and then you've got people like again Frazetta and and people like that um where and how it, are those idea generations appearing on the page I and mean, is it through abstractions of scribbles that are then formulated into ideas or is it an idea already fully realized in the mind that then is 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 built off of those concepts on a page i don't do it that way um i don't have a great visual memory honestly i i, I don't yeah. see things clearly at all well when we use the riley method in life drawing we're using it to help us observe and put things down at, from observation yeah but I think like one thing that Court did in his caricature course that I thought was pretty cool was he used it not as step number one, but at a later stage to mm -hmm. bring his things together. So he would, I mean, it's still from, uh, from observation because he's looking at someone and he's caricaturizing them, but he wasn't using Riley in the beginning. He was being a lot more loose with his ex exploration. So he's adding a lot more imagination to push and exaggerate things, but then in that stage where he's you know where he allows himself to explore a lot of things are broken right because he's just pushing and pulling and everything's yeah. just kind of like all over the place on top of it then he used riley rhythms to bring things together well, i mean i remember when court came in and studied with us for years he was already huge into distortion without the structure right without that rhythm knowledge right that's right. a dangerous place to be it really is because riley brought it in yeah 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 like, so when when with the whole i remember how difficult it was break not breaking him of that but allowing his structure to go back to accurate to go back to distortion mm -hmm. right and that's something that i always cautioned with a lot of the caricature artists that i met was it's better to go from 
realism to abstraction than it is from abstraction to realism, I think. I mean, like if you revert, like if you learn how to draw through heavy distortion, it's hard to see accurate anymore because mm -hmm. you never saw it in the first place, really. You never were trained to see it in the first place. So now you've got to go back, unlearn or put on the hold a lot of those distortions in order to see accurately, which takes years to reprogram. Then bring that back in, the distortion, which is what I think Court did masterfully. And he, he got really good over the years he was with us. It was quite some time. But then he started to do kind of like, uh, again, I think the abstraction is perfectly tailored to heavy caricature because of it's, it's taking the essence of why someone looks the way they do, finding those lines, accentuating those ones, playing other ones down to get a more exaggerated version of the thing you're seeing, right? So yeah. um, Sergeant might be doing that 5% and, and Kruger might be doing that 95%, right? So again, he's on the far end. He can go both ways, which is another good artist I always thought was fascinating to see him be able to oscillate between really heavy distortion and really very accurate. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was so hyper successful and also one of my favorites. But Court was really um, fun to watch kind of bring that together in his own way as well. And that's, again, something where you, you know, as a teacher, you kind of see, you know, maybe somebody's got the cart so far in front of the horse, not by choice, but just because of where they, how they learned or the access to learning that they had at the time. And now they're taking a new system and trying to, you know, kind of transcribe it into what they do. So I think Court did a wonderful job, ultimately, of, of marrying those two together. I always, yeah. I always enjoyed how, how he riffed off the abstractions in his work once he got really good at it. Yeah. Now, all that was just to say that, like, it's not necessarily step one. No, no. It'll kind of come in at different stages depending on what the impetus of your work is. Yeah. You know, what, what are you trying to do, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's always present. For me, it's always in the background easily accessible, ready to go. Um, it's a filter I run most things through because I want the rhythm, I, I want to pull the most rhythm out of something I, as I can to keep it as lively as possible. Like, you know, a pose, if you take a pose and you already stiffen it up a bit, it's only going to get stiffer when you start putting the bumps and undulations and the lighting and the shading on. Yeah. So you want to push it as far as you can go before you dislocate it, break it, compound fracture it, whatever. You know, in the case of a human, you want to push that leg to where it feels like it's at the breaking point and then pull yeah. it back again. I remember when you did that to me when I did a bad drawing. <laughs> body slam. Yeah, just compound you, fractures. Mean, you know, it's, that's what it takes. Shoulders. <laughs> it worked. Hey, look, you're you know? still here. Yeah. And you healed up nicely, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Bad posture, though. It's your fault. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so hold on. Pause. Hold Let's on. figure out where to go from here. <laughs> we talk about challenges of online education or developing communities, or the future of art education. Okay, yeah, let's just combine all those into one. <laughs> what? How, what? <laughs> let's go. Let's which one? Which all one three. You, no, let's which one three. do you prefer? We, we got to focus on one. How oh, do I start? We, gotta, we need one door to get into the three. Okay. Just, just throw them all into the meat grinder and see what yeah, comes out. Yeah, let's see what comes out. I think um, the way art community is building into the future of art education through what? Metaverse, blockchain. What are we looking at? What? <laughs> what is it? What? <laughs> that was. <laughs> yeah, see, I got what you. I, I got you. <laughs> I was going to say, for the future of education, where is it going? I don't know whether we're going to be having an atelier in a decentral land or what are we doing? Decentral I mean, land. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, to me, I'm so fascinated by the whole AI is going to replace all, all of uh, 
all of our jobs, you know, so I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, so I've watched, you know, whether it's mid journey or all these different things that are creating this cool imagery. And I actually really get a kick out of it because to me, a lot of guys that were photo bashing, were doing the same thing AI is doing to them, yeah. right? It's, it's the same thing. It's like they were taking a lot of photos and splicing them together and putting some strokes on it and making it look like a painting, right? And that's the same thing AI is doing fundamentally. It's taking a bunch of ideas, conglomerate again, spitting out a, an image, right? So, to me, it's just a, it's another iteration of photo bashing, you know, with an intelligent source behind it, which is cool because then if you see, I'm not a great idea guy in personally. So I'd love an idea. Oh, let me feed in all this stuff. You kick something out and I'll paint it virtuosity. You know, I'll, I'll go and kick it out as a great painting. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I can then manipulate anyway, cause I do that anyway. I already kind of do that. We're all kind of AI. I mean, to me, it's like, I'm going to take that image, take that image, flip it on its side, turn it upside down, change the values on it, reinvent the arm. Now it's mine, <laughs> you know, but I mean, it, you know, I mean, I, I do that every day, you know, so that's just like, yeah, okay. So now you've got a computer doing it faster or this way or whatever, but I'm really fascinated by its color harmonies and also how it spits out ideas to riff off of. And I think from that standpoint is an idea generation tool for artists to have collaborate with. Mm-hmm. I'm totally cool with it. I don't have the big like, oh my God, it's going to rip off my stuff and I'm going to be, yeah. you know, I, I just never felt that way about it. But I do see, you know, where some people are really intimidated by it, but I, I don't know if that's because, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> well, there's a lot to be intimidated by and a lot to fear because if you just project forward, you know, several decades, it changes everything and it's hard to predict, right? But we can't, we have very little control of it. And so it's like, well, all we could do is think about, okay, what can we do now? Yeah. to potentially benefit from it or yeah. not lose I was kind of always job. curious what your thoughts were on it because you're pretty I tech. Mean, I'm on both sides. It's like... So, you feel like I do about it. It's like, it's a cool tool. I mean, yeah. I don't feel right like... Right now, it's... Yeah, it's a cool tool. And seriously, though, like, you know, I think most people, most artists out there right now do not see what's actually happening because there, there's... These tools are being used in industries heavily now. Yeah. And everybody who's using it is afraid to show it. Because they're going to get destroyed by online community. Yeah. Right? It's like you're, you're, you're well, evil if you use it. Yeah. Because you're supporting in whatever. But like I've, I've seen professional artists who are working on movies use it in an amazing way. Well, uh, yeah. And not just like yeah, plugging yeah. in words. No, but then, no, no. But really using it as a collaboration partner. Yeah, there's partner. a few people I've been following that I'm just like, damn, that's good. I mean, it's really cool how they're right. using it. And you can't tell that it's actually, like, you might see some stuff and you can't tell that it's it's actually like 40% AI where they, they, they riffed off of it, they kind of did some stuff, they spent a few hours generating some stuff, they took pieces, did it, painted over it, and really, it was just a tool to enhance the creativity yeah. and to go through ideas a little bit faster, well, but it was still a lot of human effort, but... Yeah. And I think also, do you think that this will reverse back around to hand-done art by a real human? I don't know. Be more valuable? I, I mean, don't know. No. I mean, that's the, that's the negative side of it, is that I think that over time, I think there, it will be more and more of the machine doing these things and less and less of them. But, but, but I mean, I'm saying, but wouldn't people then, va- people always value the, whatever, the, the most um, finite resource. And if that finite resource is just five people that can do it that are actual human and not replicants, and you got a replicant like Blade Runner painting, and uh-huh. it's not even a human, uh-huh. really, 
Is it going to be more valuable or will somebody find, oh, I want a real painting done by a real human, not a robot? Could that flip and say, oh, that's the minor thing. Now, I like, I'll pay a lot of money for that because there's only a handful of people that can even do that, that are real. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so, you know, so that's what I'm saying is, yeah. I mean, there'll be value still in being able to do it by hand. Always. I think. Yeah. I mean, the industries that are going to use it most are the ones that don't really care about hand art anyway, which is the you know movie industry. They don't really, they don't care that you do it yeah. by, well, they just want ideas. So, right. of course, they're going to want it as fast as and quick as possible and easy to change. So, that industry should be driven by AI, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean yeah. shouldn't it? Because that's what they care about. They don't care about you doing a cool piece of artwork for them. Right. It depends on who you're- Traditionally. Whose you know. feelings you're prioritizing. It's- but, but, you know, but I'm saying it's tailor-made for making yes. movies, right? Most, I mean, most is, of the public you know? will benefit from it because yeah. you'll have more yeah. movies being made. Um, well, I'm just saying it seems like it's a better tool for that industry. So, it's kind of like right. saying- well, it could be better movies too. It's not just more, yeah, but yeah, they yeah. could end up actually being better because- Yeah. I mean, I understand that there's loop. people that it may, you know, make their skill in that obsolete because they were doing it in an old way. So, they all, you know, I mean, that's, that's always going to be the case for any technology, right? I mean, it just- yeah. it, and, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but I mean, I'm not condoning it because I don't use it really. I mean, I paint, right? So I'm the guy that's going <laughs> to yeah, be not come after you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not using AI really because yeah. I don't have any interest. But I mean, I, but I am interested in it from the standpoint of, you know, I've I use a projector occasionally, right? I mean, I don't see it as even evil. I know how to draw, right? So if my projector breaks, I can freehand it. Right. Care, that's the right? thing is that like online, we're seeing mostly non-artists using. AI to create art. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it usually it's pretty crappy. It's a very vanilla, like, yeah, that's clearly from yeah, the yeah, journey. Yeah. But then the stuff that's behind the scenes where really serious professional artists who have been doing it for 30 years start using it. Well, yeah, but that was then like, it's like, that was oh, like Craig, that, that's like Craig Mullins, though, a good painter using digital. Of course, he's going to kick butt at it. Right. Yeah, he knows how to paint. He knows yeah. how to color mix. He knows how to harmonize. He knows how to compose. He knows how to figure invent. He knows how to draw. So it's a tool to make his process quicker, more efficient, like a projector, like a camera, like anything. But does it replace him? No, you know, well, not yet. But yeah, not right yet. now. But that's what I'm saying. That is an industry that cool. needs to worry about being replaced by AI. But I don't think fine art painting, uh, oil painting, is going to be replaced by a digital anything soon. I mean, there may be some, you know, robot from Boston Dynamic or whatever, you know, yeah. painting it. Who knows? I mean, yeah, no. But then who cares? I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. you know. It's still going to be your vision to paint things that are original that people want to buy. You know, prints are always going to be less than originals. I mean, I would imagine. Well, that's because there's such so clearly a difference between the two. A print and an original. Like, I know, but it's still, again, no... I mean, when you have like a billion robots all being able to paint at elite level, yeah. where's the value? Well, does it then devalue the original? When, like, let's, well, let's I don't just know. I mean, but then, then I'm saying people might flip back around and say, well, I want it done by a human hand. That's what I really want. Because who, that's, who would say that? I don't know. Are you maybe, about the, maybe people the don't. Kids born yeah, maybe they don't care. Maybe now? maybe they'll never. Yeah, maybe they'll never care. They, they but then again, the, the the society we'll live in is so different that it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, because we'll come up. Because yeah. <laughs> we'll come up with a new way. Because right. otherwise, we'll they be won't care. Yeah, no, but but I mean, then um, what would be the value of doing anything? I guess only things you'll really be doing are things for entertainment. So I paint I so. at that high level. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if anybody will ever get to that high level when they're not motivated by having to make a living at it. I think yes, because you, what you think that uh, you know. I'm actually excited for. Well, I don't know if I'm excited. Maybe I'm excited about a time where <laughs> people are drawing and painting and creating art 
in for the sheer love of it for the sheer love of it in the same way that people dance yeah, right exactly you don't go dancing to make money well some people do of course <laughs> but most of humanity goes to dance because they like to move the body exactly <laughs> right it feels good it's fun yeah and drawing and painting is the same way we in our dna like to be creative and communicate yeah. with visual stuff and it's fun and i enjoy doing it yeah, i know yeah. i love it and so well, I that's what i was just saying earlier is i want to get my, back to doing table. that without having them <laughs> you know I, I want to get back to painting the way i always did which is for the love of it in the beginning yeah. you know i mean that's the whole point so i think at some point there will be a lot of replacement of jobs with robotics and ai and they should be probably because they're things that humans would be better apt doing more enrichful things with their time mm -hmm. if we can get to that point where we can allow them to do that and not have to do those other jobs i don't know what that looks like i mean it's a big paradigm shift with you know economics yeah. and finances and everything financial systems and all that so and it's all coming so but i, I guess the fascination thing with me is how does that tie into art arts of obviously it's such a visceral um precursor to lots of things right it's usually a weather vane for a lot of stuff you know artists have always been you know, forward thinking, kind of ahead of the curve kind of thinkers. That's just the way they've always been throughout history, you know? Yeah, so, it'll be yeah. interesting. Yeah. If no human is doing art for the money anymore because any robot could just do it cheaper yeah. and faster. Yeah. But there's still people doing it for the enjoyment of it. I wonder if the human art will actually improve in quality. That would be, that. yeah, it'd be a fascinating, it's a good question because yeah. again, throughout the beginning of time, I mean, everyone's been, whether it was Michelangelo was working for the church, right? He's yeah. motivated to do it because of money, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you had to make a living. Mm -hmm. So, it did. It just depend on where you were, where the money was at that time and who was paying for those kind of things. So, it will be fascinating to see where art goes when it's really unbridled love of the craft or whatever of the form versus trying to monetize it. I don't know. I'm fascinated. That's why I was always kind of loved a lot of the uh, Russian artists because they were, yeah. we were painting more, seemed like viscerally, uh, not so much um, to try to sell something. It didn't well, seem like it was a communist country. That's what I'm saying. Like, so I know. So the motivation was to paint. Yeah. You didn't have to design your shapes that much. You didn't have to like over design them to try to sell a book cover or something. Yeah. Or, or was Fetchin, was he selling a lot of stuff? Was he doing his paintings to sell them? You mean towards the end of it? Yeah. Back when, when he was already in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he 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 definitely um, sold, did okay. I think, but it was never the motivating factor to what he did. He never, you know, he'd paint a one-off painting, and I'm sure there were 20 people that would have bought that thing. Did he did he paint 20 versions of it? No. It's like that's one done. Not doing it again. Not pandering. Was he like in a gallery? Like, was, that, <laughs> was he like in a gallery? Yeah, yeah. he was. Okay, I think so. Yeah, so he was. Yeah, you yeah, know, he he did the show thing and he sold his work, but I don't think that was. Again, that's one of the things I loved about him also is he's just a very, I think, sincere love of the craft kind of painter and yeah. a painter's painter, I guess is what they call him. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, I, I love that about Schmidt. I love that about all those painters that really own the love of the craft. And, and again, there's nothing really fundamentally wrong with monetizing your gift, but that's for each person to individually determine what level that feels good for them mm -hmm. and how much compromise with their vision they're going to do for that. And you know, what industries they're going to put themselves into and put themselves through. So I think that's a fascinating dialogue or um, I like to have that conversation with young students because I want them to prepare for an enriching career, but also one that is based in reality of having to actually, you know, um, solve somebody else's problem that's not yours in a creative way that isn't totally your idea, you know, that you maybe not totally agree with, but still have to execute it well. Yeah.
which is always a compromise, you know, for not be more, you know, the illustrative arts, you know, where you're working for a client and that client is got an idea and maybe it's not the greatest idea, but you got to execute it, you know, mm -hmm. and they think it's the, you know, the next second coming, but you're like, mm, not really, but I got to paint that thing to be awesome. And I'm going to have to compromise my vision of what I think it should be because they're the ones paying. So they're the ones that are always right. So I think that's where you differentiate and start going into more fine arts and saying, no, I'm going to paint what I want to paint. And then I'm going to try to sell it. Yeah. Whether people like it or not. It's just, that's, so I don't know. There's all these nuanced aspects, but I guess when we get back to it, really, it's about the Riley method. <laughs> <laughs> and we've come full circle. <laughs> it's a rhythm. It's all about the Riley method, baby. Come on. <laughs> uh, come on. That's what we started. Uh, yeah. AI, all that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Huh. It's all Riley. Do you think it's going to replace us as teachers? Um, I don't know. Maybe. I, it doesn't, I mean, the human, I think there'll, there'll be a backlash at some point and being human is going to be really special again. You know, to be a human is going to be something special. You know, it always was. I mean, replicants, anything that you replicate as a machine is a machine. It's not a person, you know, it never will be. It's yeah. a machine. It could be very advanced. could be incredibly intelligent, way more than we are. Yeah, it's kind of lame to be a human right now, huh? Uh, it's not in vogue. Really. <laughs> it's not. Like, <laughs> it's not in vogue. Oh, you're seem, a human? It doesn't seem to be. It doesn't oh, seem to be. Oh, all that meat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. No, we want yeah. <laughs> meat. Yeah. No, no, it's funny. But I just, I, I, I try to keep a sense of humor about the whole thing because people are just, they're just losing it, you know? People are just going off the rails and I'm just like, oh, just calm down, you know? Like, yeah. uh, We'll get it all figured out. We're a resourceful little bunch, you know, down here. We'll figure it out. But it's just, it's fascinating. I mean, it's hard not to, you know, think about it. I mean, you've got kids coming in, they're panicking that they're not going to have jobs and they're freaking out about everything. And I'm like, well, definitely, you know, I kind of heard this back when digital painting came in, same thing, you know. I mean, the, I feel the same like this is, hap this is constantly happening. There is never going to be a generation that is like, Okay, I'm gonna now have the exact same career as no, my father. Nor or should my it be. Mother. Nor should it be. Because, like, even when I was starting to get into, I was, I was like, what, like six years at Watts, and I was like, all right, I think I'm like gonna try to make some money now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna get into the gallery because that's what everyone's doing. Yeah. And and then the economy crashed, right? Yeah, and then nobody it, yeah. give a shit about buying paintings from galleries anymore. Yeah. And that's when yeah. the internet was starting to like oh, become yeah. a thing. And I was like, wait, but those are, are things changing? Yeah. Do I have to figure this out and do something new? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like that world but is the, gone. Well, it wasn't necessarily gone. It's just a cycle. Well, it's yeah. their cycles. Right? I mean, yeah, you still it's talk. It's pretty much gone. But if you talk I mean, to like Jeremy Lipkin, he's still doing fine. You talk yeah, to Morgan, sure. he's still doing it's, fine. It's still Ian's still for, doing fine. It's still well, here it always, for 1% of the people. But it always it was, was only for 1% of the people. No, but I mean 1% you know? of what it was for back then. Well, I suppose. Back then, like, you're an artist, you're going to do that. But now it's like, no, you're not. You're, you're going to go I, work on movies or something. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, but I still know that, I don't know, I think... I'm a contrarian. So whatever everybody else is doing, I'm going the other direction. That's yeah. just what I'm doing. I mean, how many you know? young people that are getting real good do you see now trying to get into a gallery versus well, selling I mean, their stuff I, on Instagram? I don't, I, yeah, I don't think it's so much getting into a gallery, but it's still doing the same thing, but taking more control as an artist because you have more... Um, yeah, that's what well, I mean, yeah, though. Yeah, it's well, a new way of well, that's, being yeah, an artist yeah. no, and, and you definitely, selling stuff, making money. No, I'm just saying that, but I'm saying that the ownership of your art and the way to monetize it is going to change in the favor of creatives, period. 
It will. It yeah. has. It, it, yeah. So that's all great stuff. We should be rejoicing, not being all freaked out about it. You know, relax. Well, we have. We don't have a choice. That's my. Well, my, no, my but point the choice. Like, but this choice is, is going to probably. Changing. Yeah, yeah. But this, there's so much good. Like I was just talking to someone in my class yesterday about Pinterest, and like, I don't think you fully realize what it was like to try to find reference pre internet <laughs> yeah yeah that's the thing is i don't think anybody gets that about things changing yeah. i'm like is that they <laughs> they were not around before things my dad them. literally would sit at night cut up magazines put them in folders guy yeah. with glass guy with glass bending over guy with glass you know okay. and put them in files over? and that was your, <laughs> that was manual pinterest right it was manual Wait, pinterest that was what you had what, to create what kind of folders did you it's called a morgue file i'm just saying you had to cut up you you, you had to have reference for you everything would you just... <laughs> okay. <laughs> you had to go there, didn't you? Well, National Geographic, yeah, it's pretty racist. But, yeah, I, but no, you'd cut up over. like any, you know, cut up magazines and you put them into your binders, you'd have a morgue file. That's what they called it. And it was a file cabinet full of every conceivable thing. So if you had an illustration, you would go there, sift through it, pull out your folder, and that would have your reference pool for that thing. Right? Now, that was pre-you. You don't even probably remember that, right? I had that too because... I saw you doing it. Exactly. <laughs> so I did it. I have it right here. Oh yeah. Right there. Right there. But, um, but you know what I'm saying though. So, I mean, like there's so much yeah. to be thankful for and so much. I just don't think people realize how hard it was to get work at all. So now people are complaining about this AI stuff. It's like, dude, you have so much in your, to take it that, that you have at your resources to make it. Way more than I ever did, or Eric, or any of us. So, my dad. So, I just look at it and I go, I think it's all relative to the time you grow up, but it's it's really um, a lot to look. I think it's incredible time to be alive as an artist. I think it's one of the best times in history. You can monetize it easier than ever, but you gotta have something to offer skill-wise. That's where we, you know, we come in. You know, you educate people so that they have some skills so that they can then monetize using this new system that we have in place. If you're just pumping out a bunch of mediocre stuff, yeah, you might be able to find some kitschy little way to make money at it, but ultimately that's going to be short-lived probably. You know, ultimately, you know, it, it will, the good stuff will sift to the top. It always does. So I think just be really skilled, work really hard, train yourself in the legacy of the past masters if you can, and then use all the technology at your disposal to, to riff springboard off of, off to springboard of, it, like off of said. and kill it. Yeah. I mean, that's the way to do it. It's the way it's always been, you know? So, but I think the, the key thing for the younger people watching is don't try to sidestep getting good, right? There is no fast AI way to get good. You can't download a chip in your brain on how to draw like Riley or me or Stan. Not yet. Not yet. And when that time comes, there'll be a different dialogue to have. And that dialogue will be very much... Um, centered around other things if we make it through that transition as a as a as a species we may not we may not <laughs> who cares well no but i mean the universe isn't going to cry any it's going to shed no. any tears you know it'll just start over again and be fine with it right it's just a creative inflow and outflow i mean i don't know i'm not going to say that i'm wishing that upon humanity but humanity yeah. needs to grow up you know? <laughs> yeah i mean it's true it needs to grow up i yeah. mean you're playing with fire with these tools you guys are creating so you know, either, either, you know, mature and evolve, you know, as a consciousness and a species or be left behind or, or be eradicated. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It is.
You know, and I'm just saying, I mean, we, we're all being called to step up. So step yeah. up in your, you know, and become a, become a, um, a more conscious being and, and see if we can use this technologies uh, to further our, our, yeah, our, yeah know, that's, ourselves. that's my big thing here is that you know? like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of bad stuff that comes out of these tools as any powerful it new always tool will, is yeah. always bad stuff in the way it's used. But why just let the bad people use it for bad? Because you could also go and try to use it for good. Well, yeah, there's always going to be that paradigm or that fight between good and evil, right and wrong, up and down, left and right, straight and curved. I mean, shit, it's the fighting balances. It'll always be there, right? You yeah. can't do one without the other. But to think that, you know, all this technology is just going to ultimately be evil. Yeah, it could be used for that. And it probably will for some time until we horrify ourselves and have to go back and readjust it like we always do. It's like, oh, my God. You know, yeah, now we got to fix it. You know, I mean, we should be putting all those rules in place right now, but nobody is. I mean, AI is just running rampant. Yeah. Nobody's got anything. You think it should be paused? Like, how? Well, how I think it? they need to put some parameters around it. You yeah. know, I mean, as far as well, they definitely do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I don't think they're going to until it's too late and then they'll have to go back and reverse do it if there's time to do that. But we'll see. Because all the politicians are 80 years old, they don't understand it. There's some truth in that, yeah. We need some younger, more intelligent, you know, kind of <laughs> forward-thinking people involved. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, for me, it's more, um, I don't think the technology should be something that we should be mad about. It's our use of it and our inability to actually be conscious enough to use it that we should be more um, taking responsibility for, you know. And that's up to each one of us to up-level in our own ways to be able to then um, be part of that dialogue and be, you know, and not be left behind if you're left behind it's going to be because you're unwilling to 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 evolve yeah you know and that's it it's just easy it's very simple i mean there may be some people that literally can't for some reason and and those people we should probably help along or or, or have some way to help them but the ones that are capable should should step up you know and and be part of this you know learn to be a more mature version of our species I don't know. But art has always been that dialogue. I think for me, that's what I'm saying is my art now is more motivated by like, how can I bring more awareness into my art, not just more technical prowess? I mean, but, but I think for many of you that are watching this, you're still in the technical development stage. And that's where platforms like mine, platforms like Stan's, platforms like the other ones out there um, are going to help you to get that grounding so that you can bring a more mature dialogue to, to, to what's happening. Because the dialogue that's happening around you technologically is becoming so advanced that you're going to have to up level in order to be able to, to be part of it. Right. I think it's just more, you know, trying to, um, you know, up level myself, you know, and I think if enough people do that, maybe it'll be the thousand monkey thing, you know, where it's like gets to a thousand monkeys then it triggers something and everybody changes all simultaneously like that. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever what? heard of that. There's this rule that like when, 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 Certain monkeys, like a, a community of monkeys, learn a certain thing. When it hits a certain tipping point, consciously, they automatically all start doing it. Oh, okay. Regardless. So, you got to hit that tipping point where a certain amount of them reach that point. The rest of them automatically adjust instantaneously. Some, Peer some, pressure? I don't know. Quantum mechanics or something. I don't quantum know what it is. Mechanics, yeah. You know? It's something, Collective you know. Collective unconscious. Yeah. Right. It's some kind of interesting thing. It's, it's, you know, look it up. It's fascinating. Yeah, but I don't know. So maybe even monkeys that are not in communication. Mm -mm. Yeah. What? No. What? Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like that thing of uh, crossword puzzles. If you uh, if you try and do a crossword puzzle right when it's first released, um, so you, you have a harder gets time. It. And then if you do it <laughs> later, like... after a bunch of people in the world have already solved it, more people solve it faster, like statistically.
Stan, you gotta you gotta up level for these interviews because we're we're we're, we're talking about stuff that just I mean. Let's bring it back to Riley. Wait. Let's bring it back to Riley. Riley. No. <laughs> Hold up. Let's circle back. It's all about Riley. We're bringing it back to Riley. We don't need to. Not the thousand monkeys. Forget about the thousand monkeys. No, 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 no. The, well, the crossword, the thousand monkeys. <laughs> Are we literally talking about quantum mechanics here? Where, I don't know. Where <laughs> like the atoms or the. No, it's a certain thing with consciousness. Like theoretically, if a certain amount of people can reach a certain level of consciousness, all of humanity will up level at the same time. But but even when there's no connection, because exactly. The, exactly. It's just there's different states that just get switched. We're all connected, right? It's just an yeah. energetic field, right? So oh, if you man, can get this chair, is, I know this chair is ridiculous. Time. But if you if you get it to that level, theoretically, maybe it'll just trigger and everybody will will up level at the same time. I mean, it, I mean, again, yeah. it's probably gonna have to come down to something like that because if we don't, I don't know. That's my hopes. <laughs> I don't know. So be one of those thousand monkeys, Sam. That's what you got to be. Well, apparently, I don't have a choice. Well, you do. You don't have to. Go do the hard work and try to up level and learn all this stuff and well eventually i'll just be one of the monkeys that yeah switches. yeah yeah you'll just it'll click for you and you'll be okay so don't worry about it we got you we got your back what yeah. kind of monkey do you want to be still what kind of monkey do you i don't know this conversation this has gone way <laughs> i think we're probably done don't you think i think so <laughs> i think so yeah we've come we're, we're just chatting we're just chatting but now you can okay. cut that stuff out i don't know if that's, that's, the, that's the only stuff that's good that's the only stuff that's good what was that all about oh my god that's the stuff people like i was so conscious the whole time i was trying to be really on point and hear you i throw in this little that's weird thing at the end and you're like i know and i'm like gold Gold. Gold. So let's do it Gold. finally just title this one the thousand monkeys interview or something the thousand monkeys advanced fundamentals yeah <laughs> i'd click it I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, like, I'd, what the I'd, fuck does that I'd, mean i would click it i would totally click that <laughs> with jeff watts yep all right, Stan. So, yeah, where can people get your uh, Riley course? So, yeah. <laughs> so, again, we... Uh, we, we, got our, we got our Riley course on Stan's platform, uh, the Proco platform. And then if you want to learn more about the, I don't know, 3,000 hours that we have of me teaching this kind of stuff, it's on uh, Watts Atelier. Is it really 3,000 hours now? Almost. 2,500, probably. 2,500? I don't know. It's up there. Wattsatelier.com. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Com. Yeah, if you want to learn www.wattsatelier.com, you can go on there. We have boot camps, we have in person, we have streaming, we have thousands of hours of content taking you from point uh, you know, from very beginning to very advanced. So if you want to learn any of that stuff, you can come through us. Um, complements really well with what Stan's doing. I think both platforms have definitely kind of this symbiotic relationship between the concepts since we both work together for a lot of years. So it's nice, you know, I mean, it's a nice uh, bridge. There's lots of cool things on both of them and different um, avenues for learning. So I would say the, the, the one that we just came out with the Riley uh, class is one of my, there's a lot of great demos on there. We picked some of our best guys doing our, their best stuff. So I think it really represents well that particular method of figure drawing. So if you're interested in it, um, go on, you can grab it there. And if you say, Hey, I want to learn even more about that. Um, Stan's got a lot going on around it. And then you can also pop over to us. We're both, we have different tiers, uh, price wise. So you can, um, do monthly training. You can do more, um, ones that you get a lot more input personally with streaming. It's a lot of different options. So yeah, that's kind of how it works. And again, we've been doing it for 30 years. So we definitely know how to get people good. We've gotten people good regularly. Um, I think there's a, a really cohesive curriculum, which is kind of rare. It's hard to find 
phase one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, landscape, portrait, still life, figure, landscape, narrative, da 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 da, da anatomy. I mean, you're, um, you're ramping right back up. Jeff. You're taking <laughs> yeah. us right back into the episode. <laughs> you're like making a full loop backwards again, man. We're, we're trying to slide out. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun though just sitting and chatting with you about oh, man, all this thanks stuff thanks for coming yeah 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 no anytime and again i hope we can can you know do more maybe just go out and do some painting yeah some plain air dude with nobody nobody yeah no filming no nada just mono e mono just beer paint trees rivers well, we're recording in mono so i think we are mono and mono, mono, e mono. <laughs> yeah we don't do the stereo thing <laughs> we don't do this. <laughs> that's the end of it that's the end of it Thanks, guys, for joining. Hope you had a good time. Cheers.